Music is like water. It flows. It has no boundaries, no limits. You have a beat, and the floor is yours. Tonight's performer was born with a heartbeat that anchors a bounty of musical styles from hip-hop and Afrobeat to 70s funk and klezmer. Jesse Fisher receives his musical influences and forcefully pumps them to us in moments of intense emotion and feelings. Basking in the completion of his seventh solo project, this multi-instrumentalist keeps himself busy touring, engineering, and producing remixes for the esteemed artists like Herbie Hancock and Gregory Porter. I'm your host, Kenyatta Beasley, and stay right here because Jesse is here to elevate our heartbeats and let the rhythm flow right here on B-Side. Jesse, tell us a little about your first song. The name of the first song is called Nomads. Yeah. Yeah, tell us a little. It has like a little Afro beat, you know, yeah. fuse. You know. So what, what was your inspiration for that? That one is, um, it's like the rhythm is very Afro beat mm -hmm. inspired, like Fela. Tony Allen's the drummer that sort of invented that whole genre. Mm -hmm. um, melodically, it's kind of got this um, Israeli folk element to it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a section at the end that has this sort of salsa, like Cuban music mm -hmm. um, rhythm to it. There's parts that are kind of like influenced from like R&B or kind of like 80s or 90s R&B. So it's kind of just like a whole bunch of stuff that was somehow in my head that came out. I mean, because I've known you for like a number of years as being like a, a really accomplished engineer and producer. Oh, thank you. So, I mean, to hear a song like that, do you, do you normally like kind of make that like a gumbo where it's so many different elements in one song that, you know? It's not something that I like try to do. It just, sometimes it just comes out like that, mm. you know? I think that that melody was stuck in my head. I was, I was on a run, you know? Right. I was jogging in the morning and like, you know, some, somehow that got in my head. Awesome. And then I tried to think of what could come after that. Right, right. And then, you know, I got home and I was like, okay, playing around with chords and I came up with the other sections and, right. you know, it just happens organically, I guess. So, I mean, is that usually you just take random thoughts and that just becomes part of your, like, you know, your producing and writing process? Um, in terms of writing, I find that, I mean, obviously, like, ideas are always popping in my head. It's just like, it's, it's always happening, but what... The, the, the way you know if something is, is good is if it stays in your head like the next day or the next day after that. Like if you don't write anything down, usually I don't write it down. Maybe right. I'll record it into my phone, but 
if like a week later it's still in my head, then I'm like, okay, maybe I should do something with this. Because if it's stuck in my head, then I'm thinking maybe it'll get stuck in other people's heads. Oh, cool, cool. Um, before we carry on, can you yes. introduce these uh, the, the members of, of your group tonight? These are the people that make it happen. Yeah. You heard on, on soprano saxophone, soon to be alto saxophone, Erwin Hall. Erwin Hall. Hey, Give it up for hey. Erwin. <laughs> Jordan Peters on the guitar. Keita Ogawa on drums and percussion. For the first time ever with me tonight, Aiden Carroll on the bass. Uh. And my very, very special guest tonight, Sarah Elizabeth Charles on vocals. Cool. I want to get into your like early years okay. after this next song, but before we get to the next song, can you tell us more about uh, Digital Savannah? That's yeah, so um, this is a song that I wrote a number of years ago, and again, it was the bass line just popped into my head while I was taking a shower, like literally. Woke up, <laughs> took a shower, and I don't know why. Uh -huh. Popped into my head, I wrote a little melody, that was it. And then for some reason, it's it's sort of been, it's kind of like our hit song. Like, I don't know why I've been playing it for five or six years, but it seems to kind of stick with us. And it's, it's so simple that it allows us to kind of expand on it in different ways, depending on the day. So it's called Digital Savannah. It's again, it's sort of a mix of West African rhythms, and jazz and soul and Jewish stuff and a bunch of other stuff. more about you, man. Where, where are you from originally? So I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh -huh. Was born actually in Monroe Township, which was at the time was all cornfields, like nothing. Uh -huh. And moved to Princeton when I was two. Grew up there. Uh -huh. um, went to college at Rutgers University. Were you New part Jersey. of the, the, um, the jazz program? At, at actually, there? no. I, was, I wasn't studying music. Oh. I was doing computer science and linguistics with minors in math and cognitive science. I mean, so when did, you get, when did you get involved in music? So I've been doing music since I was a kid. I mean, okay. I've been playing since I was, basically since I was born. Right. Um, and I always played through high school. I was in the, the big band in, in my high school. Actually, I played bass at that time. Okay. So I was playing bass and I was playing drums in like a band and like guitar and right. was recording myself at home. And even when I went to college, I was still playing a lot. I was trying to play piano at that time. Right. So, I mean, at what point did you decide, you know what, I, I like music, I want to do this for my career? Right. I'm still deciding. Ah. <laughs> still working on it. Club, yeah, though. every day I wake up, I'm like, I wish I had a job. <laughs> I wish I had a day job. But, you know, it was, I got, I got out of college and I did a bunch of other sort of things. I did, um, I worked construction for a while. I wow. worked in restaurants. I was a busboy. I did um, web design. I did, you know, people's websites for a while. 
mm-hmm. um, a bunch of other odd jobs. And in 2005, I moved here to New York, and that's kind of when I was like, okay, I gotta, you know, if I'm gonna do this, I have to do it. And that's so, when I got serious about studying. So after you got to New York, um, I first met you in Brooklyn. Yeah. Over at Super Duper Sound, sure. over at Dumbo. Yeah. Um, you're 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 a pretty good performer, man. You're actually a very good pianist, but. Mm-hmm. I know you more for your production chops. And so what got you really into like producing for, uh, for yeah, art? Yeah, so, so when I was a kid, when I was very little, my mom had, basically all she wanted to listen to was Beatles music. So she was, she was a teenager when the Beatles came here, like first came to Shea Stadium and everything, and she saw them. And so she had all their records, she had all the memorabilia and newsca- newspaper clippings and stuff. And so that was kind of my first exposure to pop music was, even though I grew up in the 80s, it wasn't 80s music, it was like, hardcore Beatles and so through that I kind of got really interested in especially when you listen to their later albums Mm. it's not just a band playing all of a sudden it's like instruments that are not real instruments or like there's sounds on the records that are not real Mm. they're not acoustic sounds like how did they make these sounds Mm. so I kind of got interested in studying the actual art of production and engineering through that and I would try to sit you know I had a I had a little four track cassette tape player you probably remember these so yeah. I would sit there and try to recreate some of those Beatles records and like try to because they had four tracks of course it was, it was four track two inch tape instead of cassette tape right. but I would try to like figure that out like how did they get these sounds so even from when I was 12 or 13 I was interested in that All right as a producer man you, you've collaborated with quite a few people um, you know of, of mutual friends of, of mm-hmm. both of ours um, I think the next two songs you're gonna bring up uh, a talented vocalist, uh, Sarah Charles. Can yeah. You t- t- tell us more about these next two songs that you're gonna. That you right. Guys are so, gonna I mean, I've been very lucky as a first of all to find a living as a producer and an engineer. Yeah. And um, now as a studio owner too, yeah. in addition to being a pianist. But I feel especially lucky because I get to work with so many artists that I wouldn't normally encounter as a pianist. So people outside of like my jazz genre, like I work with indie rock bands and hip hop groups and. Um, you know, smooth jazz, like all kinds of stuff I wouldn't normally encounter. Mm-hmm. But um, once in a while, there's a connection that just like works on so many levels, like a personal level, musical level, spiritual level. If you want to, you know, think so about that, it that would, way. That would kind of describe how you and so, Sarah. Kind yeah, of really I, I remember um, Sarah's manager. I think I knew, and she had invited me to Sarah's show, oh. and I had just walked in, and like sometimes you know somebody's just like, okay, this is going to be a cool person I'm going to meet at some point.
So Jesse, we're um, we're hearing selections from your seventh, your seventh studio recording. Um, where, where, where can we pick this up? And how can we pick this up? On what <laughs> what what platforms can we actually uh, pick up this recording? Well, Kenyatta, I'm glad you asked. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I happen to have no. So um, I'm of the you know I, I'm still kind of old school. I like CDs and records even right, more. Right, right. So I had to print this on CD, but a lot of people are now you know on YouTube or Spotify, and, right. and all of our music is on there too. In addition to some live, a lot of live videos from various gigs that we've done is all on YouTube. So Daydreamer. Uh, but yeah, this is Daydreamer. <laughs> it's um, a lot of people actually ask, you know, how can we, what's the best way we can benefit you financially? And um, we have this set up with a website called Bandcamp, which is a really awesome sort of indie music website. It's sort of like iTunes, but better. There's better quality music, like the audio quality is better. Mm -hmm. um, it's more flexible. You can get lossless or lossy compression and mm. and the money goes straight to the artist like i got a, a check as soon as you you buy it so so we can find daydreamer yeah. exclusively on bank well it's not exclusive if you want to do itunes you can do that you can do amazon spotify but for those of you who want to support the artist bandcamp is the best way okay cool so um daydreamer that's your seventh your seventh record um yeah as a leader yeah um so and the progression to doing Daydreamer, how do you feel like your production has actually, you know, improved from album one to album seven? Right. So I've been, all the albums I've put out are self-produced. Right. Which was, it's not usually what people do, but um, because I've been interested as a producer and as a musician or whatever, I wanted to produce my own albums. Right. Um, I think each album, I'm realizing that less is more. And so hopefully, yeah. you know, each album is a little bit less complex and less, you know, trying to stuff fewer things in. I think the first album I probably was like, this is the only album I'll ever do, so I got to put every, every idea I've ever had in. Right. And so each subsequent album is like, okay, let me try to focus on one clear idea that, you know, I can convey with the music. Mm -hmm. um, as a producer, you've also done like a, a number of remixes. In the opening, I, I think I had a mention about right. you did a, a Herbie Hancock uh, remix. So tell us a little so about that. So the story with that is um, Herbie Hancock's album, Headhunters, was like a huge influence on me. Yeah. After sort of the Beatles, that's probably the most influential record mm -hmm. um, on me as a pianist, as a producer, anything. And when it was coming around to the 40th anniversary of that, 2013, um, a friend of mine, we realized we both had this passion, this love for that same record. Mm -hmm. So um, we decided to do a 40th anniversary concert. Mm -hmm. And so to promote the concert, I said, you know, just for fun, let's do a remix. So we took his song, Watermelon Man, which is a song that Herbie originally wrote in 1962, mm -hmm. then completely revamped for his 1973 album. Right. And so I, th you know, I thought, let's do a 2013 version of it, whatever that meant. Oh, cool. And so it ended up being this sort of trap like electronic, trap, hip-hop, soul, jazz thing. And it actually got so much love on SoundCloud and we were hearing people in Singapore and Australia and uh, London and Brazil playing this record. This, this song that I had just put out on SoundCloud to promote this show. So I thought maybe we should do something with this. So we ended up doing the four songs from Headhunters. We did new versions of that and this label 
in England put it out called True Thoughts. So that's that's this final record. Oh, it's good to see it's a vinyl record. Vein Melzer. It's it's you know it's the four songs from the 1973 Headhunters album, but they're like remixed, flipped in sort of electronic versions. Awesome. You know, um, man, when, when, when I'm watching you play, man, I, I think about the producer, the engineer, the writer, the performer. Which, which side of Jesse Fisher do you, you know, do you most associate yourself being? Producer? Like, you know. And don't forget interviewer. Like, and, when I was in college, I was on the, the college newspaper. That's, I was in your chair. I was interviewing people. So <laughs> being in the center of attention and stuff is not... That's not like my personality. So you you, you really feel as if uh, you're more of like a behind the scenes kind of guy, Definitely. more comfortable being in the studio. Oh yeah, if I could, if I had enough money to hire someone else to play piano in my own band, like. I would definitely do that. The, the, I would hire Chris Bowers or uh, you know Aaron Parks to play piano on my band. I think the reason I do this is because I love composing and I love writing music and I love these musicians and like hearing them play my ideas is just such a thrill. Yeah, but even even as like a pianist, you don't find like your musical contribution, you know, to, to work with this fine group of musicians. I mean, it's you don't, fun. You don't like that? Come on. Come on it's like fun. That. Come on. I don't like being in the spotlight, but. <laughs> It's I'm trying to drag you into the spotlight. Right, right, you keep right. on pushing yourself away. Right now. But it's a thrill to be able to play with these guys. I mean, all of them, everyone in the band is, is like internationally touring artists and yeah. sidemen. So it's definitely an honor to have them be working with me and to be having them interpret my music. Yeah. I mean, on top of this, man, you, ha you also have like music that's in like TV shows and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I get my ASCAP check every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I have... Um, a few songs I've co-written have been in TV shows like Criminal Minds and um, I forget what else, some other like network shows. I'd like to do a lot more of that. I think kind of the sad thing that's happening now is that people don't really spend money to buy an album, which is something that I grew up with. Right. But you know that's the way it is and, and a lot of people are spending money in different things, buying concert tickets. And I think the main way that we as musicians or composers can actually earn a living is by creating music that's going to go for a TV or film. Right. And that's where people still have actual budgets and they can say, look, here's some money, we want your song, we're going to put it in our TV show. And I think naturally what we do as composers, I mean, all of us up here are composers right. and arrangers, we tend to try to find that emotion first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of the music would work well for a film or, or to tell a story, you know. If you had to talk to like a young musician right now right. who was new to the game in 2016, 
with the changing musical landscape, you know, but they were like, I just want to perform. What, what would be your, like, you know, words of wisdom at this point in your career to a young and up-and-coming musician or composer? Uh, don't do it. Don't do it. No. <laughs> Come on. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, when I was young, everyone told me that. Don't do that. And most of the musicians who I knew growing up, growing up were not professional musicians. You know, they were physicists or teachers or... Um, Carp you know, carpenters or some other job, and, and not that they were bad musicians, but that wasn't their career. I didn't know anyone that, I didn't know you could have a career as a musician, like I didn't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And when I started getting into it as a career, people were telling me this is a bad look, you know, you don't want to do this. Right. And the sad thing is now, 20 years later, it's, it's infinitely worse. There's much more competition, much less opportunity. Um, economy just in general is worse for everyone, not just musicians. Well, but I mean, you still, you know, and, and we're, we're both musicians and yeah. we're both finding like multiple ways of like just being creative and being right. successful. I mean, there has to be like, you know, some words of uh, some I mean, if somebody told me not to do it, I would do it anyway, which is what happened. <laughs> and right. I did do it. But, you know, not everyone who tries is going to make a living. Like, I know a lot of people who are 10 times better than me are not making a living because they're not willing to go in different lanes. Right. I think the key, you know, in anything in life, not just music, is to be able to sort of feel where the current is taking you. Mm. And like in my instance, I really, really wanted to be a jazz pianist. And that was my passion. Mm -hmm. And and I tried and I tried and like, you know, there were other things that were happening that were a lot easier. And it's not to say don't try something that's challenging. And I keep I still am trying. But it turned out once I started, you know, being a producer and an engineer, and a year ago I opened my own studio in Brooklyn, and without even trying, my phone is ringing off the hook, and I'm booked up for, for weeks or months in advance at right. the studio. And that turns out, for whatever reason, that seems to be my path. Right. And it's not to say I can't still play piano, but um, the fact that I can do both, and I don't mind doing some graphic design or doing some video editing or, or playing at weddings or playing in church or doing other things that are that are related to playing jazz piano, but they're not actually playing jazz piano. The fact that I'm willing to do that means I can, I can live comfortably, I can have a family, and I can, you know, have nice things. Right, I mean, but you, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the Herbie Hancock tribute record, uh, I mean, the, the remix record, yeah. sorry, in your hand, I mean, and I'm assuming Herbie has been like a really, really big influence on your career. Yeah, well, and in more ways than one, not just as a pianist, because he is very smart as a businessman. Right. From the very beginning, from the first record he, he put out, I think he was 22 or something, right. you know, the record company wanted him to record songs that other people had written, because that was the standard practice. And he said, I'm going to only record my own songs. Right. You know, and I think Donald Byrd was his mentor. Right. And he, he thought he was going to lose his record deal, but because he persevered and he said, I'm going to only record songs I've written, that means he, get, he got twice the, the amount of revenue because he was getting money as a composer and as a musician and he didn't get to he didn't have to sacrifice his his um his voice right. so i think him as a bit and then later in you know later on in the 70s he had no problem doing disco music he did electronic music he did collaborations with chora players with african music players he did collaborations with hip-hop music you right. know he was the first person to put a DJ scratching on a record, so... Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of like... very but, 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 I mean, but you're you know. incorporating that same thing in what you're doing, so, yeah. you know... Um, the, 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 as we get into this, your last two songs, but the, yeah. I think the last one is Chameleon that you're going to do. We're going to do... Let's see what time, what time do we have. You have, you have enough, you have okay, enough time, gotta, and you can, have, you can, and you can stretch couple. if you choose to on these, these last okay. two songs. Okay, we want to do... Let's do our version of Chameleon, because this is another sort of 
extremely famous sort of jazz record mm -hmm. that Herbie put out um, in 1973 that we sort of decided to flip in a different way. Cool. Sorry to say our time is up, but hopefully you have been sufficiently energized and revived. Thank you, Jesse Fisher, for stimulating our vitality. Be sure to pick up Jesse's new album, Daydreamer, wherever you buy or stream music. To keep up with Jesse, find him on Instagram at Jesse Fisher Music and Twitter at Jesse Fisher. I'm Kenyatta Beasley, and I hope that you had a great time with us. Make sure you stop by our Brick House studio every Thursday to hear more of the best music that Brooklyn has to offer. You can also check out tonight's installment and past episodes anytime at youtube.com slash bricktv or check out our Brick Radio podcast of this episode at soundcloud.com slash brickradio.
The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Kyrell Palmer. For more information about B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, check out brickartsmedia.org slash radio.